What is going on, sports fans? Welcome in to Sports Talk with Jordan Glasgow. It is October 11th, the Sunday after a wild and wacky day in college football. A couple of upsets. LSU gets upset by Missouri on the road. Florida gets upset by Texas A&M on the road. A couple of almost upsets. Uh, Arkansas on the road against Auburn. May have been a little controversy there. We'll talk about that coming up later. Um, and then Ole Miss. Uh, Ole Miss. Raise your hand if you had Ole Miss hanging that close with Alabama. Look, I thought maybe first half they'll be able to keep it in there. Lane Kiffin will do some trick plays. They'll keep it close. They'll make it interesting. But Alabama would pull away in the second half. I was not expecting it to be a ball game halfway through the fourth quarter. And that's exactly what we had. And we'll talk about that and all of the crazy action as we recap uh, what was a, like I said, a wild and crazy and wacky Saturday in college football. We'll start with LSU on the road against Missouri. Look, the thing with the Tigers, this is the thing with me with them. They've been hit hard. You know, we see this a lot of times in sports. A team is really good one year. They win a championship or they're in a championship game. Then the next year, uh, they tend to kind of fall off a little bit. You know, you can maybe kind of call it a slump. But most of the time when we see that, it's a lot of a lot of the time it's because of injuries. Like what we're seeing with the 49ers right now in the NFL. They were in the Super Bowl last year, played the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And now we're seeing them just struggle with that injury bug. That injury bug is just big with them this year, and it's 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 hurting them a little bit. Now they've still managed to play some pretty good football during this time when all these players are out, but um, but they it it's still it's it's something that we see happen throughout sports. And I think LSU is kind of getting hit by that, but in a very different and unique way. First and foremost, they lost a shit ton of players to the NFL. I mean, let, let's just call it what it is. They lost. Most of the team that made them what they were last year and helped them win a national championship is now playing on Sundays. I mean, you look, guys like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, we mentioned the Kansas City Chiefs. He's now their starting running back. Joe Burrow, he's now the starting quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, you can go down the list. So they lost a lot of good, talented, I mean, elite, elite talented players to the next level. On top of that, everything that's happening throughout the world with COVID there were no spring practices for anybody. There were no summer camps for anybody. And there was a very unorthodox fall camp for all college football teams across the country. So um, that kind of put them behind the eight ball even more. And, and it's it's a situation to where, you know, a lot of people don't think about how much is actually done in the summer with college football. They train still in the summer. Just because they can't meet with the coaches during the summer doesn't mean they're not out there working their ass off because they are. And a lot of times between spring and fall camp is when the things you learned in spring, that's when you get better at them. You know, the things that you learned in spring, that's where you get better at. And you can go back, actually go back and watch video from spring and say, okay, this is what I've struggled with. And this is what I need to work on in the summer to be better for, for fall camp. And a lot of players do that. They weren't able to do that really this year. They can still go work out, you know, obviously if they've got their own workout equipment or they can, you know, kind of come up with their own crazy way of working out and staying in shape, they could do that. But they couldn't go to a film room. They couldn't go to a practice field. They couldn't do those things that normally they still would do during the summer that doesn't really get talked about a lot, whether it's SEC Media Days, ACC Media Days, or on ESPN or Fox Sports 1 or wherever it may be. They don't really talk about the work that's put in in the summer. And really in the summer, that is when your team kind of becomes a good football team to a great football team or an okay football team to a good football team. Is that work that's privately put in during the summer. And teams weren't able to do that this year. So for a team like LSU that has a bunch of new faces coming in this year that was going to be taking on key roles for them, and then you have guys opt out, it's just created this perfect storm for LSU. I think 2020 for them is going to be a, a situation where they're going to win some games. They're going to lose some games. Obviously, they've got Alabama still on their schedule. That's going to be a tough one for them. Uh, they've played Florida this weekend. Florida, the defense there. We'll talk about them coming up in just a few minutes. But I think with Florida, that offense can give that LSU defense some issues and some problems, especially Florida being at home in the swamp. Um and Florida, both of these teams are going to be pissed off, but I think Florida's going to be a little bit more pissed off and a little bit more motivated um, after losing to Texas A&M on a last-second field goal. Uh, so I think Florida really can kind of give LSU some issues, so that's kind of a game that they could possibly lose in there. Uh, they've got some other games throughout their schedule that could be a toss-up game. Auburn, we don't quite, depends on what Auburn team you get, honestly and truthfully. Um, so we'll just have to see what happens with the LSU Tigers moving forward. But with as far as yesterday's game, 
it was absolutely inexcusable. I'm not going to sit here and say it wasn't inexcusable. I'm not going to sit here and say the defense should have played better because the defense should have and could have played better. But at the same time, I understand everything that LSU was having to deal with in 2020. I don't think there's another college football team that lost as much talent as they did and has had to deal with the things, you know, I mean, obviously everybody's had to deal with COVID and all the restrictions with that. So everybody's had to deal with that. But when you couple that with losing the talent that they lost, that is a big, big, big problem for LSU. So I'm going to give them a little bit of a grace. Plus Missouri, I think Missouri's probably a, a, a little bit better of a football team than a lot of people give them credit for. Missouri's gone through a lot of crap the last few years. That program has really taken a nose side because of everything going on. Um, so I, I just think that Missouri is, is one of those schools that they have talent. They're a talented football team. They're going to sneak up and beat somebody once or twice a year that they probably shouldn't have. And this is just that game for them where they just played a hell of a football game. And, you know, I'm going to tip my cap and actually congratulate Missouri more than I am going to shame LSU for, for this game. Because I think Missouri more so fought, never quit, never gave up in this game and won this football game. I mean, hell, they had the goal line stand right there at the end to win it. They had to stop LSU on the one-yard line to win this football game. So I'm actually going to tip my cap more towards Mizzou for winning this game than bash LSU for losing this game. So it's just going to be a – I'm not going to say it's going to be a bad season for LSU because they're still a good football team. They're going to win games. But it's going to be um, – it's definitely going to be a, a, a little bit of a down year, especially coming off of winning the national championship a year ago. Uh, just with everything that they've had to go go through throughout the off season, spring, summer, fall, um, so I'm not really. Uh, coach O is is obviously going to be upset by this because he's the head coach of LSU. He wants them to do better. He thinks they can do better. He knows they can do better. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, sitting here as a college football fan, as a sports broadcaster. I'm not really going to knock LSU for this loss because of A, lost so many talented players, B, couldn't really get the new faces in and get them as much practice time as you normally would. So there's some crazy circumstances here that are actually playing into this being a uh, a, a little bit of a, a down year for the LSU Tigers. Florida, however, uh, we'll talk about this game. They went into Texas A&M and look... They did just about everything they needed to do to win that football game offensively. They scored on every possession but two. One was a punt, one was a fumble. The fumble ended up setting Texas A&M up for the go-ahead field goal and and winning that game. The punt actually gave Texas A&M an opening to take the lead. So those two opportunities right there played a part in the loss. But honestly and truthfully, when you have the ball, what if Florida had the ball, maybe... I don't know. It was probably around 10 possessions. If even that. But when you score on almost every single possession and you lose the football game, when you score 38 points and you have over 400 yards of offense, your quarterback threw for, I believe he threw for over 300 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. You don't lose the football game but Florida lost the football game Florida lost the football game because of their defense all the talk going in and I had several conversations throughout the week and and this is something that absolutely played out Texas A&M was going to use their tight ends and their running backs to hurt Florida because Florida I don't know why they're running the defensive scheme they're running, but they ran a five-man front against Texas A&M on Saturday for most most of the day. You look at Alabama, you look at Georgia, you look at Tennessee, you look at LSU, you look at any team in the SEC that is known for actually having a good football team. Obviously, we're excluding this year's LSU's defense because of what we just talked about a moment ago. But usually, LSU has a good defense. Alabama always does. Georgia always does. Tennessee always has a tough defense. They might not always be good, but they're always going to be tough and physical. They run a 4-3 or 3-4, and basically their whole mantra is, we've got better athletes than you. We're going to come at you. We're going to punch you in the freaking face, and we're going to bully you all afternoon long. And that's what works in the SEC because that's how you have to be better on defense in the SEC have those freak athletes. 
have the Jadavion Clownies, right? Have the uh, ha- have the the Dante Fowlers, you know, have those type players that are just freak athletes. And I'm not saying Florida doesn't have those on the defensive side of the ball. They do. They're just being put in asinine situations that don't work for them at all. It don't work for them at all. You're running a five-man front, which for those of you who don't know what a five-man front is, you've got five down defensive linemen, you've got two linebackers, you've got two cornerbacks and two safeties in the secondary. And then you want to run these, these cutesy, these, these what, what are called exotic blitz packages that don't work. Why? Because when you, in a five-man front, you only have two cornerbacks on the field. You have two safeties on the field. You have two linebackers on the field. If you blitz a linebacker, if you blitz a cornerback, somebody on that five-man front has to drop back and help in pass coverage, which means you are putting a defensive end or a defensive tackle in pass coverage against a tight end, against a running back, against a receiver, whoever it may be. And guess what? That's a win for the offense every single time. Every single time. You can drop a defensive end back in pass coverage, yeah. But you drop him back maybe two, three yards from the line of scrimmage, and basically he just kind of stands there. If the ball comes close to him, he swats it down or he picks it off if he's athletic. You don't actually have to make him go out and cover somebody. But you saw the situation yesterday where there were, there were defensive ends who were having to cover people. You've got Marco Wilson still playing 10 yards off of his receiver. You've got guys that don't look prepared. You've got guys that just aren't out there giving 100% effort. And I saw somebody tweet this, and this is something that I'm legitimately thinking about now. It's not a thought I had before, but now that they've said it, I'm actually considering it. Marco Wilson came back last year. Marco Wilson could have went pro last year, but decided to come back. Is he giving 110% effort on every play? I'm not calling him out. I'm not saying he is or isn't. I'm simply questioning, is he? Or is he somewhat worried about possibly getting injured and that messing up his draft stock? Because let me tell you something. If that's the case, somebody needs to go smack Marco upside the back of his fucking head because by him backing off, if that's the case, by him backing off and not playing tough, he's costing himself in the NFL draft. Look at a guy like Trevor Lawrence. An injury could cost him. Right now, he's expected to be the number one overall pick. But if he tears his ACL, he's not going to be the number one overall pick. He's going to drop. But yet, that does not stop him from being physical and fighting in in, in any football game. And he took some hard hits against Miami. We'll talk about that coming up a little later, too. But he took some hard hits against Miami. I would be more worried about my play affecting my draft stock than an injury. So if Marco Wilson is legitimately worried about getting hurt and that hurting his draft stock, somebody needs to go to him and say, look, you're hurting your draft stock right now with the way you're playing more than any injury ever would. Because there were situations yesterday where bad breaks on the football Again, playing 10 yards off the guy, not wanting to get up and get physical in his face. For whatever reason, this Florida secondary, and you can see, you know, they have players out. Yes, and that does play a factor. But the fact of the matter is, we talk about LSU and all the talent they lost. Florida is on the opposite end of that spectrum. Florida actually has majority of their defense from a year ago back this year. They lost three players on the defensive side of the ball. So that means they have eight players back from last year's team. So for them to get burned, for them to get beat as bad as they are in the secondary, for them to have the piss-poor, shitty tackling that they have, it is absolutely unacceptable. It is uncalled for. This team should be a lot better defensively. This defense cost this team a football game. They cost them a win. And I I tweeted this out after the game yesterday. 
that if I was Kyle Pitts, if I was Kyle Trask, if I was Kadarius Toney, if I was Trayvon Grimes, if I was any of those leaders on the offensive side of the ball, I am going to be holding my defensive teammates' feet to the fire for the rest of the season and making them accountable. And no, that is not being a bad teammate. That is being a leader of a football team. Because right now, if you look around that football team, the offense is doing their job. The defense is not. So if I'm an offensive player for Florida in practice, I'm not doing it to the media. I'm not going to go out on the SEC network and bash our defense if I'm a Florida player on offense. I I would never do that, and I'm not condoning that. But behind closed doors, on the practice field, yeah, there's going to be some things said. There's going to be some accountability that needs to be had from the players. But there's also accountability that needs to be had by the coaches. Because the fact that this Florida team, for the third week in a row this season, they've played for three weeks, and for the third freaking week in a row, this season has, or this team has not looked prepared at all this season on the defensive side of the ball. And that falls on coaching. It falls on coaching. Guys not knowing where to go. Bad gap assignments. Bad coverage assignments. Blown coverage assignments. That is on coaching all day, every day. And because of that, Todd Grantham needs to lose his job. And I know there's some people out there going, really, you're going to fire Todd Grantham? Todd Grantham, one of the best defensive coordinators? No, there's a reason there's a thing called third down in Grantham. There is. And it's because Todd Grantham continuously fails to get off the field at third down. Last year, they had some success. This year, they've had no success. Ole Miss was able to convert third down after third down after third down. South Carolina, while it got a little bit better against South Carolina in in week two of the season, South Carolina was able to still, when they needed a third down conversion, pick it up. And then against Texas A&M, my God, they allowed 12 of 15 third down conversions. Which means out of the 15 third downs that Texas A&M faced in that game, they converted 12 of them. And we're not talking about third and ones. We're talking third and nines, third and eights. There was a couple of third and twelves mixed in there as well. If a team has eight third and ones and they convert five of those, fine. They needed to get one yard. That's not exactly that hard to do, right? There's plenty of different plays. You can run it up the middle. You can run it to the outside. You can run a little bootleg, hit a tight end, or hit a running back in the flat, and you're probably going to pick up one or one or two yards. But when a team is consistently picking up 8 or 9 yards to get a first down, 10 yards, 12 yards, 13 yards to get a first down, that is a problem. And it's not just been this year. I mean, you go back to the Georgia game last year for Florida. They could have easily beaten Georgia last year had they gotten off the field on third down defensively. But they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it because third down in Grantham is very much a real thing. So if Dan Mullen wants to have any chance of opportunity at winning a championship, he's got to put his loyalty and his friendships to the side and make the decision that is best for that Florida football team and get rid of Todd Grantham. And we'll talk about on Monday's show, we'll we'll, we'll talk about who possibly could replace Todd Grantham in Florida. Because there's a list. I've got about four names I could bring up. And we'll, we'll break down why they would work and why they wouldn't work. Again, that's coming up on a Monday show, so all, all you Gator fans out there that are interested in hearing about that, uh, you can definitely tune in again coming up Monday show right here on Sports Talk with Jordan Glasgow. Let's move on away from Florida. Florida, great offense, bad defense. Congratulations, Texas A&M. Got a, got, a, got a hell of a win. Got a hell of a win. Number four team in the country comes into your stadium, and you knock them off. Uh, fully expect um, them to be a top 15, maybe even a top 10 football team whenever the, uh, the the rankings come out because that's just, you know, that's that's the way it is. They were ranked, what, 21 when they beat Florida? You know, Kellen Mond looked like a Heisman Trophy winner. Kellen Mond is, is statistically one of the shakiest and most mediocre quarterbacks in the SEC, and that Todd Grantham defense made him look like a Heisman Trophy candidate. Spiller ran for 140-something yards. I mean, it, it was it was between 140 and 170, and I know that's a wild gap, but... You know, I don't know the number right off the top of my head. But I know it was a lot. Bottom line of that game, and the reason why I didn't really talk about Texas A&M that much, the bottom line of that game, Florida's defense played piss poor. 
yet again, and it actually finally cost them a football game. They actually played a better opponent than they did in week one and week two, and their piss-poor defense cost them a football game. Changes need to be made at Florida, and I think changes will be made at Florida. While we have no official word yet, uh, I I do think some changes will be made in the state of, or not the state of Florida, but um, the University of Florida with their defense on that football program because they're going to play for a championship. They're going to compete for a championship. By the way, for all the Florida fans that are going doom and gloom that I saw on social media, you're only a one-loss football team right now. You're 2-1. and one. You've still got an opportunity to win the East and play in Atlanta. You've still got an opportunity to play in the college football playoffs. You lost one football game. It's not the end of the world. You can still get things fixed and turned around, but some changes definitely have to be made. and They've got to be made quick if I'm a Florida Gator. Got to be made quick. Dan Mullen's got to make those moves as soon as possible. Let's move on now. Let's... Uh, Quickly here, before we wrap up the uh, the first part, we'll, uh, we'll obviously um, take a little break here in the middle of the show and then come back for part two and wrap this up because there's just uh, there's too much to talk about. And obviously, uh, you got 30-minute 30 30 segments on here. So we'll do uh, a quick 30-minute segment, and then we'll come back and wrap it up. But uh, let's, let's get to some of these other games that we had yesterday. North Carolina taking on Virginia Tech. Let me tell you something. All the talk was Miami-Clemson, Miami-Clemson how good those two teams were the top of the ACC. Nobody is really talking about North Carolina. North Carolina quietly yesterday when they played this game, sitting at number eight in the country. Uh, so much so to the point to where I had completely forgot they were ranked that high. When I saw it on the like the, the, the ticker, the score ticker at the bottom, I had to kind of rub my eyes and like, oh yeah, that's right. North Carolina is a top 10 team this year. And they looked every bit the part yesterday. Now, there were some situations where Virginia Tech kind of did some things and and there was some great play calling by Virginia Tech in that game. I mean, obviously the 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 squib onside kick to kind of uh, double up there after they had scored a touchdown, and sure enough, they took it down the field and 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 scored and scored a touchdown, made it even closer. And Virginia Tech didn't quit; they kept fighting in this game. But North Carolina, when they needed to get stops, they got the stops, and when they needed to score points, they scored points, and they scored a lot of points. I believe fifty six points to be exact. So. Um, you know, North Carolina, one of those teams that I'm not going to put them in the college football playoffs right now. I'm not going to start talking about them for that because it's still very much early in the season to put anybody there, maybe outside of Clemson and Alabama. And even Alabama looked shaky against Ole Miss, uh, last night. And we'll talk about that as well. Um, but North Carolina looked really, really good. North Carolina is going to make some games interesting and they're going to win some games throughout the year. Obviously they already have their four and zero right now. Um, but uh, it, it's it's really going to be fun to watch this North Carolina team as they continue to play throughout the season. Uh, Clemson, Clemson just did what they do. I, I mean, Clemson just came out and played football and dominated Miami. We talked about it uh, on another show that I have, the College Football Preview Show, which you can catch uh, right here on Anchor every Friday. Uh, you can actually follow them on social media as well at CFP. Or I keep saying you follow them. You can follow that show's page on uh, Twitter at CFP Show. Again, it's at CFP Show. You can follow this one at ST underscore the podcast, at ST underscore the podcast. Go give both of those a follow. Go check out uh, the College Football Preview Show podcast as well. Subscribe to that. Subscribe to this one. Share it to all your friends who are sports fans. But one thing that I said on that is Miami would have to match Clemson. That was my big thing for Miami. Was you've got to match the Clemson offense because you're not going to stop Trevor Lawrence. You're not going to stop this Clemson offense. You've just got to match them. You've got to be as good as they were. And Miami could not do that. I mean, we were sitting in the fourth quarter, and I believe Herb Street made the comment that Miami had only had 100 and something yards of total offense. And that is ridiculous. I, I, I mean, just Miami really... I don't, I don't want to say Miami got exposed because I, I feel like that might be unfair to Miami because this is a good Miami football team. They just ran into a buzzsaw and elite talent that is the Clemson Tigers. So for me, my whole thing with this is Clemson is who we thought they were. Miami still got some work to do. Bottom line, I mean, Clemson just played their football game. I, mean, I think outside of... The stupid field goal decision right there going into halftime by Dabo Sweeney, which Dabo Sweeney owned up to right there in, in the uh, the interview going in. He said that was a stupid decision by me. I hurt our football team by doing that. 
And, uh, you know, they really kind of came out in the second half, and, and you could tell that he was kind of coaching with a little bit of chip on his shoulder because of the decision he made because um, they didn't really allow much to happen in that second half for uh, Miami. Miami, again, just completely dominated and, and, and just beaten. I said on the college football preview show, I said that Miami was an enigma and that this game would reveal a lot, and it did. Miami still got a lot of work to do. They're a better football team than they've been the last few years. But they still got a lot of work to do to get to that level to compete for not only an ACC championship, but a national championship as well. Florida State goes on the road. Something else I said in the college football preview show on Friday. I said for Florida State, put up a fight. You're not going to win this game. Just put up a fight. Look respectable. And they did. You know, And and they did. Uh, It was, um, what was it, a touchdown ball game around halftime. Uh, 30, 35 to 20. So it was a 15 point ball game at halftime. Um, so Florida state looked respectable. They were able to put up a fight and, uh, that's all I wanted to see from Florida state. And I think that's a good sign for Florida state fans is the fact that this team is now kind of starting to rally. This team is now starting to fight. They're starting to play a little bit tougher. They're starting to play a little bit harder and that's going to help them win some games throughout the rest of the season. So, uh, good signs from Florida state, just uh, a tough loss for them on the road against a, a better a better coached Notre Dame team and a, a more talented Notre Dame football team. And, you know, the talent gap was definitely on display. But Florida State, again, put up a great uh, a, a great showing there for uh, that game against Notre Dame. A game nobody expected them to win. Nobody thought they were going to win. But I think a lot of people pleasantly surprised coming away at how tough Florida State actually turned out to be. How about Mississippi State talking about not being tough? Uh, they looked good week one against LSU. And they have circled the drain ever since. And they just keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper down said drain. Because they uh, they managed to score two points in their loss to Kentucky. Yeah, that's right. A safety. Their offense didn't even manage any points. Their defense got them a safety. The last time LSU, or excuse me, the last time MSU, Mississippi State, had two points in a game, they lost 3-2 to two to Auburn. At home in Starkville. Now here we are again a few years later. And they lose, what was it, 24-2, 27-2, the final score, to Kentucky. This is the problem with the Mike Leach offense. It's not, will it work in the SEC? Will it not work in the SEC like everybody was talking about? And after the LSU game, people were like, ha, told you it would work in the SEC. It's not that will it work, it's will it show up. It didn't show up yesterday. It didn't show up the week before against Arkansas. This is the problem with Mike Leach. And you look at Mike Leach, wherever he's gone, he's had this issue. When they play the top five teams, when they play the top ten teams, that offense looks amazing. When they play teams that are about on the same level as them, like a Kentucky or maybe a team that's a little below them, like an Arkansas, that offense does not show up. It's a consistent thing. You can go back to Texas Tech, had those issues there. You go to Washington State, had those issues there. Now at Mississippi State, he's having those same issues. This is a big problem with Mike Leach offenses. And it's something that Mississippi State should be worried about. And, you know, maybe something to keep an eye on throughout the season. All right, we're going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, we will continue to talk about the action from yesterday in college football. Ole Miss giving Alabama all they wanted in that very close game. Arkansas, we talked about Arkansas a little bit right there with Mississippi State pulling off the win last week. Could they get it done against Auburn? They came close, a little bit of controversy. We'll talk about that on Sports Talk with Jordan Glasgow coming up next. What's up, sports fans? It's Jordan Glasgow from Sports Talk. want to remind you, you can catch me every Friday as well on the College Football Preview Show, streaming live right here on Anchor and Spotify. So don't miss it if you're a college football junkie like me. Tune in. We'll be breaking down all the upcoming action for the weekend, including next Saturday. Big matchup in the swamp. Florida, LSU, both teams coming off of tough losses on the road. How will they rebound? Well, we'll talk about it Friday on the College Football Preview Show. And welcome back as we continue to recap this wild and wacky weekend we had in college football. We've already discussed a little LSU, a little Florida, both teams getting upset on the road. Clemson 
doing what they do to uh, what we thought was a very good Miami team, but we see now still has a lot of work to do. Florida State putting up a little bit of a fight on the road against a good Notre Dame team, and Mississippi State's offense just looking absolutely abysmal. How about two teams that their offense absolutely looked incredible? Alabama, Ole Miss. These two teams, uh, look, when you look at this game and you break it down, there was no way Ole Miss should have been in this game as much as they were. Should they have kept it close for a little while? Sure. They've got good talent on the offense and the defensive side of the football. I'm not going to knock them and say they're a bad team because they're not. Especially when you throw in a guy like Lane Kiffin as your head coach, you're going to be in a situation to where you're going to throw some trick plays at them. You're going to throw some misdirection at them. You're going to be able to make plays and score some points. And uh, that's always going to be there when you have Lane Kiffin as your head coach. It doesn't matter who you're playing and how outmatched you are. There's going to be a couple of opportunities there for you to score some points. So I thought Ole Miss was going to keep it close early. When I saw the score at halftime, I think it was like a 20-21 game or 28-28 game at halftime, something like that. Um, It didn't surprise me that much. I thought Ole Miss would be able to keep it close. Um, But ultimately, in the end, I felt Alabama in the second half would just be Alabama. They would put a stop to it defensively. They would put their foot down. Ole Miss wouldn't be able to score any more points, and Alabama would pull away. Kind of like what... Kind of on a larger scale of what we saw with Alabama, Texas A&M. Texas A&M hung in there for a little bit, then Alabama put their foot down, started to pull away, and that was the end of that game. I thought that's what we would have here. We didn't. Ole Miss continued to fight. Ole Miss continued to find plays. Ole Miss continued to pull different things out of their hat. Lane Kiffin had all kinds of tricks up his sleeves. And, you know, it, you talk about the comments that were made, or Lane Kiffin kind of calls Nick Saban elderly, and Nick Saban responded with, well, what's he going to be like when he's my age? Um, these two guys, it's it's a rivalry with these two guys, but it's a respectable rivalry. They respect each other. They like each other, sort of. Um, but, but they also have a little bit of a rivalry there. And if you thought Lane Kiffin wasn't going to give Nick Saban anything and everything he had in his playbook, um, you, you, you're, you're taking crazy pills. And that's exactly what Ole Miss did. Ole Miss gave them everything they could handle. Kudos to Alabama, though, getting a couple of late scores, being able to pull away. But you also saw Nick Saban pull out some tricks as well of his own. It wasn't just Lane Kiffin out there. I think Nick Saban actually was having some fun in this game as well, coaching it up for the Crimson Tide. So uh, Alabama ultimately gets the win. That's not a surprise. That's not a shock. But, uh, you know, I think if I'm an Ole Miss fan, I, I look at how close we were to that game. You know, you could even make the case Ole Miss fans should be upset you didn't win that game. Because that's how much you were in that game. It was, it was a tight ball game, 48-48 with, you know, halfway through the fourth quarter or something like that. So um, this was a game to where Ole Miss really, I, I think, you know, if you're an Ole Miss fan, you're starting to see the writing on the wall of what you're going to get with Lane Kiffin as a coach. And that is a lot of points and a lot of offense. And if you're an Ole Miss fan, you got to be excited about that. you got to be happy about that. Because when Ole Miss was a good football team, when Ole Miss was ranked in the top ten, sometimes even in the top five, with Hugh Freeze, they, it was because they were a good offensive football team. They scored a lot of points. With Ole Miss, it was always more so if they would outscore you rather than just stop you on defense. They would just outscore you. Um, even when they would go into Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama a few years ago, it was a situation I think Alabama still had 24, 31 points in that ball game, But Ole Miss just outscored them. Ole Miss made more plays than they did. And that's a lot what you're going to get from Lane Kiffin, and you saw a little bit of that uh, on display Saturday. So, for Ole Miss, the future is bright. For Alabama, your your present is is, is still bright. I, I wouldn't worry too much about your defense um, because, again, you are playing Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin not only is a very offensive-minded head coach, and he's not only a creative offensive-minded head coach, but he's also a guy who is, is going to cause problems for a lot of coaches like Nick Saban, especially with Nick Saban because, like I said, there is that relationship there. He is going to throw a little bit extra into a game with Nick Saban than he would with a Dan Mullen or a Kirby Smart or somebody like that. So um, for Alabama fans, don't panic too much about your defense. I think a lot of people are going to allow that many points to Ole Miss. Uh, I would be thrilled with my offense because the worry was with no Tua, you lose a couple of your offensive weapons. How was this offense going to look? So far this season, they've looked pretty good. Uh, kind of, you know, I would say, I don't want to say he struggled against Missouri, but, uh, you know, they scored 38 points against Missouri. But then they turn around and put a 50 spot on uh, on A&M in week two, and then they dropped a 60-burger last night against Ole Miss. So uh, if I'm Alabama, 
If I'm an Alabama fan, I'm happy with the offense. I'm not too worried about the defense because, again, you're playing a guy who's going to give you misdirection, who is going to cause some issues, going to cause some, uh, some, some, you know, misplays for you defensively. He's going to create some mismatches in the secondary, and that's exactly what he did with. And when I say he, I mean Lane Kiffin, of course. So, um, Alabama fans, I, I would not be too worried about my defense. Uh, obviously, if you get into a game against a an Ole Miss, or excuse me, not Ole Miss, if you can, they played Ole Miss, if you get into a game against like an LSU or an Auburn, and your offense or your defense is is struggling like that, then that's cause for concern, maybe. But against a team like Ole Miss. The relationship and, and the the sort of kind of almost like a sibling rivalry that's between Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin, kind of like a much older brother and a and a younger brother. Um, I I think that you mix that in just with how Lane Kiffin is as a coach. Last night's game is kind of a little bit of a fluke for that Alabama defense. Let's move on now, uh, some other games. Man, Arkansas. Played a hell of a football game against Auburn. So we'll stay inside the state of Alabama. We talked about Alabama. We'll talk about Auburn now. Um, Arkansas played a hell of a game. Arkansas is playing inspired football this year. You saw them in the first half against Georgia keep it close. There's a couple of turnovers late in the second half. Ultimately helped Georgia come back and win that football game. But Arkansas is playing really good football. They're playing inspired football. They ended up beating Mississippi State in week two. They had an opportunity to win this game. I'm going to go ahead and say it on the record. That was a Bo Nix fumble. That was not a, a a spiked ball. He fumbled the snap, and then he was throwing a backwards pass. He threw it backwards behind him, which causes that to be a live football. There is a rule. If you are spiking it, you have to spike it in front of you. It has to be a forward motion that way because a spiked ball is an incomplete pass, right? I mean, that's essentially what it is. It's an incomplete pass to stop the clock. This was a situation where Bo Nix actually had to turn, pick up the ball that rolled behind him, and he spiked it behind him, which means he tossed it backwards, which makes it a lateral, which makes it a fumble, and live football, Arkansas recovered it. That should have been the end of the ball game. Arkansas should have won that game. Um, and, and, you know, 28-27, we're, we're talking about a 2-1 and Arkansas football team. Unfortunately, it was not called that way by the officials. The officials even reviewed it, and they still said, oh, no, it was a spiked ball forward. You know, he spiked it forward. I don't know how they got forward from that. I thought that was a BS call. Arkansas got hosed in that game. But I think the thing to take away from this is Felipe Franks leading this Arkansas team, leading this Arkansas offense. This team is playing really good football. Arkansas still has games on their schedule that can be impressive wins for them. You look at a game against Florida. If you don't think Felipe Franks isn't going to be fired up going back into the swamp, you couple that with the fact that Florida's defense has been as abysmal as it is this year if they don't get things corrected. By the time that game rolls around, Arkansas could be playing with all the confidence in the world, and they could go into the swamp, and they could very much beat the Florida Gators. Right now, from what I've seen from Florida for the first three weeks, what I've seen from Arkansas the first three weeks, Arkansas can beat Florida because of Florida's defense. Florida's going to score points up and down the field on Arkansas. But right now, the way these two two teams match up is Florida would have to outscore Arkansas. Which is doable. But also, it's very doable for Arkansas to get a stop and sneak by with a very slim margin of victory against the Florida team in the Swamp because of the way Florida plays defense. If Florida cannot get things on track, they could lose to Arkansas. LSU, another team Arkansas could beat because of the way they play defense if they don't get things on track. So there are games for Arkansas that if I'm an Arkansas fan, I'm actually excited for Arkansas SEC football games because there are some games coming up where you have the opportunity to pull some upsets and beat some people because of the way you're playing football, because this team is starting to believe, this team is starting to gel together, and Felipe Franks is playing outside of his mind. The guy threw for over 300 yards, what was it, three or four touchdowns. I mean, he had a hell of a ball game on the road uh, for the second week in a row. I mean, he went to Starkville the week before, put on a great performance, goes into Jordan-Hare this past Saturday, and puts on a hell of a game against a, a, a decent Auburn Tiger football team. Not a, not a good one, not a great one, but a decent Auburn Tiger football team. So Arkansas, headline from this, Hogs get screwed, Tigers eke out last-second field goal to win. 
I mean, that, that, that's, that's the bottom line of it. This was a great back-and-forth ball game, and I hate that a game like this that could have been the game of the weekend has this type of controversy in it to where now there's a cloud, there's an asterisk next to it, and, and there's always going to be a yeah, but with this game. It was a great game, yeah, but Auburn didn't deserve to win. It was a great game between Auburn and Arkansas this weekend, yeah, but that was a fumble. Auburn fans will argue with you till they're orange and blue in the face that it was a, a, a not a fumble. And I mean, obviously. But I think everybody else that watched that, everybody else that saw the replay, that is a fumble. SEC officiating. Look, SEC officiating the last two seasons, whether it's been passes that were incomplete that they called complete last year, because that happened... Uh, a couple of times in the Florida-Georgia game last year. It happened in, in a couple of other conference games as well where there are passes that, that skid on the ground and they're trapped on the ground. The officiating crew call them complete. Um, and, and then this year, the lack of reviews, because there was a situation where in the Florida-Texas A&M game, Texas A&M fumbles the football going into the end zone. Um, they say the guy was down on the one. They don't even bother to look at it. Florida would have recovered that fumble. Um, there was a couple of other situations to where over the weekend to where there were some plays that they didn't bother to take a look at that possibly could have been changed. Their, the original call could have been changed. Um, but either way, SEC officiating crews right now are they're struggling, and, and I, the SEC needs to do something. Greg Sankey needs to do something about the officiating in the SEC because that last night – to not only say it was a, 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 a spiked ball, a forward incomplete pass type deal, but then to review it and after reviewing it for a few minutes and taking several different looks at this to say it was still a spiked ball, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. And again, it's just a shame that such a great ball game had to end that way between these two very good football teams. And then Arkansas, make no mistake about it, is a very, very good football team. They are. Whether you want to believe it or not, they are. They were close against Georgia for most of that football game. They beat Mississippi State last weekend. They should have won this football game. We're talking about an Arkansas team that should have been 2-1. and one. The officials screwed them over. Auburn gets a little home cooking there on that call, and that settles it. See you in the SEC, and we'll actually wrap up our SEC slate with this one because this was a... This was an interesting ball game for at least the first half. Georgia and Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee actually uh, at one point led, I believe halftime, led 21-17. And then the second half was just all Georgia. Um, this was a game that, for me, my keys to this game was for Tennessee. Um, it was very similar for Tennessee for what Miami had against Clemson. You know, A moment ago we talked about with Clemson uh, in the first part of the show that Clemson, or excuse me, Miami had to match Clemson. Tennessee had to match Georgia, and they did that. They came out, the bad snap led to a touchdown by Tennessee, um, and then Georgia's able to fight back into the ball game. They Georgia takes a 14-7 lead. You're kind of starting to maybe think that they're going to pull away with it. Then Kirby Smart goes for it on fourth down to around midfield. They get stopped. Tennessee hits a big play down the sideline for a touchdown right after that. I mean, a big quick change turnaround, deep ball down the sideline. Um and that tied the ball game back up. Georgia goes down 17-14. Tennessee scores before the half, takes the 21-17 lead in. And it was kind of one of those situations where you're looking at it. They were matching what Georgia did. And then the second half rolled around. Georgia reclaims the lead 23-21. And then it just kind of became a, a snowball effect of, of the Georgia defense putting their foot down. Kind of like what we talked about with Alabama Ole Miss, where Alabama, I, I thought, would put their foot down it would stop the scoring for Ole Miss, and they would be able to pull away. That's exactly what we saw in this Georgia-Tennessee game. Georgia's defense put their foot down. They played the way that they were expected to play the entire game. Not that they played a bad game in the first half, but they really were kind of a, a – they, they essentially they shut out Tennessee almost in the, in the second half. They put their foot down, was not going to allow any more big plays, was not going to allow Tennessee to go up and down the field. They really kind of shut down Jared Garantano – and uh, obviously uh, a big play right there is the, the sack strip fumble that was scooped and scored by Georgia. Um, those were two big plays for them. So, um, you know, it, it's one of those things that 
Um, for Georgia, it was a it was a big win and it was a good win for them. They're now three and zero. They're sitting atop the SEC East. They're in the driver's seat, right behind two two and one teams in Tennessee and Florida. Um, and the, Georgia and Florida will meet in a couple of weeks, I believe, on November seventh. I think is the date of that game. And then obviously Florida and Georgia and Florida and Tennessee will meet the very last week of the SEC season. Um, the last week of November, first week of December, whenever that happens. I don't know the exact date in front of me right here. Um, but again, uh, tough loss for Tennessee, but Georgia's defense just just putting a, a, a strong performance on in the second half of that game and, uh, and coming out with a victory. And I'm actually going to divert away from the last game here. We have one more game to talk about, and this is the Red River rivalry, but we still got plenty of time to talk about that on the show. Uh, what I am going to bring up here is it does look like we have uh, the top 25 poll released, um, at least for a, a little bit, the AP poll as we are here on this Sunday. And it looks like Clemson is going to stay at number one, obviously. Um, no surprise there. Obviously going to be some expected shakeup here with these two teams uh, losing. And, and when I say these two teams, I mean Alabama and LSU, two teams that, uh, you know, I, I think really are, are going to shake up the polls. I think Georgia is probably going to stay about where they're at. And it looks like, you know, if I'm seeing this correctly, I'm, I'm trying to get some updates here through my phone as, as, as recording this. And and looks like LSU has dropped out of the top 25 altogether. Obviously, looking at them right now, they're a one and two football team. That's not absolutely uh, shocking. Uh, one and two football teams very rarely stay ranked within the top 25. So um, LSU out of the top 25 just now crossed my phone here. Not really, uh, again, not really a shocking thing, but they have an opportunity to play their way back in it. And same for Florida. Florida uh, has an opportunity to play their way back to where they were as far as being a top four team in the country. Both of these teams still have a lot to play for on the year, and they'll face off next weekend. But that's how it, that's the big thing from the uh, top 25 poll that was just released here on this Sunday, 2 o'clock Eastern time. LSU out of the top 25. So we saw it with Oklahoma the week before. Now uh, LSU out of the top 25 following their loss on the road to Missouri. Speaking of Oklahoma, Oklahoma-Texas, getting back to our recap, uh, it looks like uh, this was a game that was exactly about the way I thought it was. And it it went exactly the way I thought it would go. I mean, this was a, a game between these two teams. I even said on the college football preview show, Oklahoma's going to get out to a 10-point lead. They'll allow Texas to come back. Sure enough, they jump out 10-0, allow Texas to come back, and then it's back and forth, back and forth throughout the rest of the ballgame. It was really, honestly and truthfully, we had a lot of great games. I think the Florida-Texas A&M game, as abysmal as Florida's defense was, that was a fun football game to watch because it was back and forth. Uh, you know, you, you look at even the LSU-Missouri game, a back-and-forth football game, very fun to watch if you're a fan of offense. But I think this probably might have been the best one of the evening. Went, th- I believe, three, three or four overtimes. And, uh, and Oklahoma ends up getting the win there by a score because, you know, they're able to score one more time than Texas was. You know, the, the big talk for this, we broke this game down on Friday, was can Oklahoma finish this game? Can they have a lead late and can they finish? I was kind of thinking more along the lines of can they do it in the fourth quarter, but they were able to do it. Took them a little bit of extra time, but they were able to get the job done in overtime. And I, I think that, you know, if you look at this, this is a big win for Lincoln Riley. This is a big win for Oklahoma. A, a needed win for them, you know, a, a needed win for them because we were talking about this Oklahoma team that what were they at one and two? Uh, they had won their first one, lost their second and third one. They needed to kind of get things back on track. Oklahoma and LSU, very similar this year. Um, kind of different uh, different ways of getting to where they're at, but very similar is in the fact that have had two games where they've left a lot to be desired, and they've played one good game where they've, you know, so, you know, LSU going to kind of be looking and, and modeling their, their week four, or excuse me, yeah, their week four, after after what Oklahoma did this past weekend when they had to Gainesville to take on Florida. But Oklahoma, able to pull it off, able to hold on, able to force that last stop. Sam Ellinger, a bad throw right there in overtime. Uh, I think I think watching film, he's going to kick himself in the rear end because he had guys underneath that would have picked up the first down, kept the drive going, and given them other opportunity to, uh, opportunities to score. 
Uh, I think he probably was just thinking, force it to the end zone, get that touchdown. He had actually, he did have a guy in the end zone, and he had a guy around the three-yard line. He kind of put the ball between them, and the guy that was covering the guy in the end zone steps up, makes the play, ends it for Oklahoma. So Oklahoma, uh, after losing to Kansas State, after losing to Iowa State, they find a way, they scratch, claw, and find a way to finish against Texas. Now for Texas... And this is something I I mentioned for Oklahoma that if they lost this game to Texas, if Texas won, that people wouldn't start wanting Lincoln Riley to be fired. But those discussions of, is he the right guy for the job? You know, not necessarily, oh, he's on the hot seat. His job is in danger. But there would be some doubt. The seeds of doubt would be planted if Oklahoma lost for Lincoln Riley. Now, Texas has lost. Texas under Tom Herman is now 1-4 in in the five years that Tom Herman has been the head coach of Texas. That is unacceptable. So now, those wheels start to turn. Those seeds start to be planted. And now what we talked about being possibly a bad situation for Oklahoma has now shifted over to being a bad situation for Texas. And now people are starting to wonder, you know, what changes can be done to make this football team, make this football program a better program because one in four against your most hated rival is uh, that, that that's not going to get it done by anybody's standard. So we'll see what happens there. All I know is this was one hell of a crazy weekend in college football. Florida, LSU, both getting upset on the road. Ole Miss hanging in with Bama. Florida State putting up a good fight. Arkansas getting just absolutely screwed. Man, it was a... Uh, a fun weekend, uh, unless you were a, a a Tiger fan, a Gator fan. Well, a Missouri Tiger fan, you're happy. An Auburn Tiger fan, you're happy. But LSU, you weren't happy. Gator fans aren't happy. They are calling for Todd Grantham to be fired. I tend to agree with them on that. We'll see if that actually happens. Dan Mullen did say he was going to reevaluate everything. Personnel, whether it's players and coaches when he says personnel. Um, so we'll see what happens there, whether something happens now, something happens at the end of the year, I don't know. I don't think Florida could last until the end of the year. I think they need to make something happen. They need to make some changes now. Uh, maybe take their linebacker coach, Robinson, and, and make him the interim defensive coordinator for the rest of the year. Uh, but like I said, as far as this topic goes, we'll talk more about this coming up on Monday's show because we're going to discuss, I have four guys in mind that if, if Florida does make the move and get rid of Todd Grantham, I have four guys in mind that they could hire, that could be good hires for them. And we'll talk about that coming up on a Monday show. But this has been our college football recap. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, you can follow us on Twitter at ST underscore the podcast. At ST underscore the podcast. That is our Twitter handle. You can also follow the college football preview show on Twitter as well. At CFP show for that one. That is going to be coming your way every Friday as well. We'll be breaking down the action. So you can tune in college football preview show on Fridays as we break down the upcoming action And we'll be recapping it right here on Sports Talk with Jordan Glasgow. I am Jordan Glasgow. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, we'll talk to you on Monday. You guys have a great Sunday. And uh, enjoy a lot of great football.